Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. And I know that many of your minds and thoughts are on the Cowboys, but let's just chill for a little bit. They don't start playing for a while. And I'm not going to pray for them because every time I do, they lose. So um, just going to let that go. <laughs> but I am going to root for them. And my wife's rooting for Green Bay. I don't know why in God's name I married a woman that roots for Green Bay Packers, but her and one other. No, uh, good things are going on in the world today and at One Cause Church. Can I get a good amen? amen. You know, I'm convinced that you came here uh, not by your own doing. Yeah, you chose to come here, but who gave you the power to choose? And I believe that God brought you here, ultimately, and I'm blessed that you're here. And he brought me here, and he brought us here together for this moment, for this day. I believe that um, if you'll see as the events in your life as appointments with God, then you'll see him in more of those appointments. You'll see his grace, and you'll see his love, and you'll see his help, and his wisdom, and his his strength for you in those moments. The more we seek him, he says, whatever you ask... In my name, it will be done, and, and, and if you seek, you'll find. If you'll ask, you'll receive. If you'll knock, the door will be open to you. And so as we look to him, as the, uh, not the psalmist, but the proverbist said, uh, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. So I'm grateful um, to God for his wisdom that he gives us, and today we're going to look into his, his word for a few minutes, and I believe that this will help you today. I've just titled today's message, The Miracle That Never Happened. The miracle that never happened. And we're going to look up in uh, Mark chapter 8. I, I find it intriguing, really, but when you read through the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, um, and, and when I was reading through them, I was, I was actually a little bit surprised about how many things occur in Jesus' ministry in or around boats. I like boats. And I think Jesus had somewhat of an affection for boats, as much of his ministry was done in or around boats. And um, anybody, anybody, here, anybody here like boats? You like being on boats? Um, I, I like them a lot. I'm, when I was a kid growing up, I, we used to go up to see my grandfather up in Minnesota, and we'd fish on some of those Minnesota lakes that are rich with fish. And me and my brother would use what my grandfather called jiggle sticks, which means we didn't reel we just had a cane pole with a line on it, and he would bait it for us, and then we would catch sunnies, big old sunnies, and then he would fish for northern pikes. That's like the most demonic-looking fish I've ever seen in my life, next to an alligator gar, <laughs> but, these, but they tasted good. Anyway, he'd catch these big old northern pikes, and had a lot of good times out there on those Minnesota waters with my dad and brother and grandpa. And then my other grandfather from southern Oklahoma, y'all know that big city called Thackerville? Just across I-35 or Winstar Casino. Yeah, I know y'all know where Winstar Casino. You just don't want to admit it in church. But it's on I-35 just, just north of the Red River. That's my hometown. Now, that casino wasn't there when I was growing up. Um, but my grandfather on that side fished for catfish. And, um, and so he was out on Lake Texoma, and I'd go out in his boat with him. But he didn't fish much from the boat. He would a little bit, but he, he had this... Uh, this story he would tell, he bragged that he ran a trot line from Oklahoma to Texas. And, and he did because there was a little channel 
that uh, on, on that uh, Texoma Lake where Texas was right there and Oklahoma was right here. So, and we we would go out there in the boat and, and harvest catfish. And sometimes alligator gar scare the crud out of you when you pull that trot line up and that big old nasty looking fish on there. But pulled a lot of um, catfish off of there. And uh, what I loved about it, they had a little uh, trailer house there, not too far off of the lake. Yeah. We're from Oklahoma, all right? So anyway, and, and it, that was their little getaway house, and, and uh, Grandpa had always had the hot grease fired up there. So we'd bring those catfish in from the lake, and he would, he would butcher them right there and throw in the hot grease. I mean, 30 minutes ago, they were swimming, and now they're in my belly. <laughs> Good stuff. When I was a teenager, we had this youth pastor when we lived out in San Angelo, Texas. His name was Billy Simmons, and Billy Simmons owned a boat, and that's where I learned to water ski was with our youth pastor. He'd take us out almost every weekend out on Lake Nasworthy or O.C. Fisher Lake. Had a lot of great times out on the water. And my father-in-law happened to be. When I met this girl, I, I really, I love her, and, but I was really happy to know her dad, still am, who, who owned a boat. And he taught me really how to fish for bass. And there, I didn't realize that there was a real art to it and, you know, and all the kind of lures you can use for for, uh, to catch bass at different times of the day, and we did topwater bass fishing, spinner bait. Now, I'm not going to go through all the bait. You don't care, but some of you might. Anyway, I learned how to fish for bass and, and, and how to use an, an open reel. I, I thought the Zebco was the greatest you know, discovery. You just push the button and go, but he taught me how to use those that if you cast wrong, you got to spend a lot of time because you get all this backlash in your line to pull it out. And so I spent most of my beginnings in bass fishing just trying to untangle my line. We've taken our kids on a couple of cruises, too. Now, that's a whole different kind of boat. That's a marvelous thing. There's a lot of food on that boat, which I was really appreciative of, and you can eat any time of the day. My kids definitely took advantage of it, ordered room service every night, but we saw some beautiful uh, shores and beaches off that cruise ship, and also just being out in the depths of the ocean, the, the deep parts where it's just, the colors are hard to describe, except I can only say kind of purple and dark blue, and any of you know what I'm talking about? You've been out there in the deep ocean. Beautiful, beautiful colors, marvelous. Great times in boats. But I, like I said, I think Jesus had a certain affection for boats himself. And in the scripture, the boat seems to be a kind of metaphor for, for life. And uh, there, there are, there, it's, it's a, a limited framework of something. While on land, you know, you have limitless space around you. But in the boat, circumstances offer a different perspective. And um, whether they're either in the boat or outside... And you cannot escape from situations or the people who are in the boat with you. They had several different kinds of reactions, Jesus' disciples, to things that happened while they were in a boat. In Luke chapter 5, the disciples were so overwhelmed by this miracle of the catch of fish that they caught that, I mean, it astonished all of them. And when Peter, this is right as Jesus was about to call his disciples, and Peter sees what happens that Jesus worked this miracle, he, he comes to Jesus and he falls down at his feet and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. So Peter's distracted with his own sinfulness over the miracle of provision and abundance for them. Then there was a time when the disciples were on a boat in a storm. Uh, the storm arose and, and, and they became undone and distracted with their own fears. And they were so scared that they wouldn't even let Jesus sleep. He was asleep in the stern on a pillow, and it says they came to him and says, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? 
Uh, as I told the earlier service, how many of you know that's not really the best thing to say to the one who's about to die for your sins? But we're on this side of the story. They weren't there yet. They were living in that moment. And Jesus gets up and he, he rebukes the wind. And the scripture says there was a great calm. And he said, peace, be still. And that, trouble didn't, I mean, that storm didn't trouble Jesus at all. The thing that troubled him was their lack of faith. and was their fear that they had gotten distracted with. And he scolded them about that. And then in John chapter 21, after Jesus is risen from the dead, the disciples had gone back to their fishing trade because they figured things were over. Jesus was dead in a tomb. And so they're out there fishing, and, and they've been fishing all night long and have caught nothing, the Scripture says. And they're so distracted with their need to catch fish that they are slow to recognize Jesus standing on the shore. And he calls out, children, have you any food? And they said, no, we've, we've toiled all night. And Jesus said, well, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And after a little bit of persuading, finally they did. And when they did, when they drew the net in, the Scripture says there was 153 large fish in there. And then they realized, oh, that's, this is Jesus. Interesting things happen in boats There's a message that we're going to passage that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 8. Maybe you ever been in a situation and you're so distracted by your need that you didn't see Jesus in that situation? Am I amongst humans? Okay. And in the midst of that need, Jesus may ask you, "Hey, how's all this working out for you?" Is it working for you the way that you're doing it? And that's when we have to admit, say, Lord, no, it's, it's not working. Help me in this. And hand it over to him. And he's always gracious to help because he's a very present help in time of trouble. In the eighth chapter of Mark, we're going to come across another story in a boat. And Mark is, is a succinct book. Mark is very direct. And when you read the book of Mark, it's a very short read. Uh, he's got short sentences, and he gets to the point very fast. He says things like, and immediately this happened, and immediately this happened. He's taking you from one event to the next. He says it, he gets over it, and then he moves on. But it's very interesting to me that he takes the time here in this chapter to bring us into a story with some details, but he doesn't really explain the story. He just tells it, and that's it. And let's read it. Verse 13, and he left them... and. Talking about Jesus, he had just talked to some Pharisees and they were still trying to get him to admit that he was the Son of God, even though he had already said it in several ways. And they said, Well, show us a sign. They had already seen signs and miracles by him. And so it's a frustrating conversation. So he gets in the boat with his disciples, all right? They departed to the other side. Verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf. Everybody say, One loaf. Amongst them. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. So now today's lesson is beginning, right? From Jesus to his disciples. Now watch, watch how they respond to the lesson. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. In other words, don't let them influence you. 
Don't let this religious system get into your life. Herod represents the ways of the world. Don't let the worldly system get into you, all right? So, so now, listen, this is how they respond to it. And they reason among themselves saying, ah, it's because we have no bread. Let me just say to any, are there any teachers here in the room? Can I see your hand? Have you had to tell them the information more than once? Any parents here in the room? Hmm? You've had to tell them more than once. Wouldn't it be nice if all you had to do was tell them once? And they got it. They've seen Jesus over and over and over again. They've heard the words he've said. They've seen the miracles. And this is where they've come to in his ministry. He's teaching them, and they're thinking that they're caught. Well, they caught, they're caught because they forgot the bread. Oh, it's because we forgot the bread. Now, look at this. It says it's because we have no bread. But verse 14 says they had one loaf. I wonder what happened. In 14, they had one loaf. In 16, they have no bread. Where did it go? Verse 17, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them. Now, this is where Jesus is about to, well, he's about to uh, unleash on them and probably give them one of the worst scoldings that he ever did in his ministry. Jesus, most for the most part, is very patient. He's very kind. Uh, and even when the disciples did stupid things, I'm grateful to God that when I've done stupid things, he's been kind and patient with me. And there's a good chance I'll probably do stupid things again, and, and I expect that he'll be patient and kind. And, you know, like when, when James and John, they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, we got an idea. We've been talking, and, and we were thinking that you've been talking about this coming kingdom where you're going to sit on the throne of David. We got an idea. Can we sit on either side of you? What do you think, Jesus? And you think Jesus would have gone, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, he probably wouldn't have said freaking, but I mean, are you kidding me? You guys, grow up. But he doesn't. It's kind of strange, Jesus' response to them when they asked for that. They said, are, are you, are, he said, are you, are you able to suffer what I suffer? And they said, yeah. He said, yeah, indeed you will suffer. The, it's not really my call, though. It's the Father's call. He was almost apologetic in his response. Very interesting. But here, <laughs> what'd they say? It's because we have no bread. Look how he responds to them. Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? How many times have you said something like this to your kid? <laughs> how many times do I have to tell you? Is your heart still hardened, having eyes? Do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Wow. Then, then he goes on. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? You can almost see him looking down and like when my son gets in trouble, especially when he was younger, his, he would kind of suck his jaws in. You can almost see him doing that 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? Seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? 
And that's the end of the story. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> like, wow. A tough time in the boat that day. Now, there is a reason why Jesus is upset. But we have to understand where these guys have come from. The disciples have left their homes for him, haven't they? They've left their families for him. They've left their own jobs for him. They're, they're out here trying to help Jesus do his work. When he said, follow me, they did. They left, their, they left everything. There's a reason. Why is he upset with them in this way? What's going on? Let's look. So they, they're, they're about to take this trip across the lake, and, and across this lake takes about two hours probably by boat to get across. So we can only surmise that before this, they had made a plan to have a picnic on the boat. All right? So somebody was supposed to get the supplies for the picnic, but nobody did. So as they're going out across the lake, finally the guys are like, all right, let's eat, man. I'm hungry. You got the bread? Bartholomew, did you bring the bread? No, I didn't bring the bread. I, just, I thought Thad got it. Thaddeus? Nobody told me about getting the bread. This is, this is a, the, one of the younger guys' responsibility. And so they all look at John, who's the youngest of all of them. John's like, okay, yeah, I'm the youngest. That means I'm broke. I don't have any money. I don't carry the money around here. That guy does. And there's Judas. <laughs> yeah, I am the CPA of this outfit. So I don't go to the grocery store. And they realize we have no bread but one loaf. We have one loaf of bread. So now this is embarrassing for these guys. They have nothing to give to Jesus. I mean, after all, he's been working. He's been casting out devils. He's been healing sick people. He's been arguing with the Pharisees. He's been teaching, and they've basically been just standing around watching him do it. You'd think that one of them would have enough wit up here to get the lunch for the trip. But here they are empty-handed. Nobody had gone to buy bread. At this moment, now, while they're in this, the lesson starts. Watch out, beware of the, less, the leaven of the Pharisees or the yeast, and beware of the leaven of, the, of Herod. And so you can hear the disciples going, oh, great, he caught us. He said leaven, that's, that's a big hint. He knows, it's, he knows we forgot the bread. We're done. So, yeah, Jesus is upset, all right. So they're thinking that he's upset that they forgot bread. But what Jesus is really upset about is that they're thinking that he's upset that they didn't buy bread. And he doesn't care. Come on, we, we know this about him by reading. He doesn't care that they don't have bread, Right? He doesn't care about that at all. It's no big deal to Jesus. But it's a big deal to them, and they make a really big deal out of it. Because they have their eyes, they're distracted. Listen to me, they're distracted. They have their eyes on their own weakness rather than on Him. So the, the, this first truth that they're missing here is this. Who is in your boat is way more important than what is in your boat. Your, your natural, physical, financial resources, 
are not nearly as important as having Jesus in your life. Can I get a good amen? amen? I mean, these disciples who have the pleasure of his company, think about it, they're overlooking, they're overlooking that. Instead, they're thinking, we don't have bread. They're not thinking, wow, Jesus is in the boat with us. They're thinking, oh, we forgot the bread. They can't even listen to him teach. They think it's all about their problem. They're making it all about their issue. I think we've all been guilty of focusing on our own weaknesses at times. Hmm? Maybe you've said something like this. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough opportunities. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough. Instead of remembering, simply remember the joy of having Jesus in your life. Because the irony of this story is, when it comes to bread, Jesus has already proven to them what he can do with five loaves. He can feed 5,000. He's already proven to them what he can do with seven loaves of bread. He can feed 4,000 people. It's nothing to him. But instead of their focus being on his ability, they're seeing their own inability. And that's where the trouble is. That's where the big mistake is. Because when you have Jesus, you have the key to all other things in life. Jesus said it like this, if you seek first the kingdom, everything will be added to you. Because with Jesus, there's a realm of possibilities. Possibility of health in your body. Possibility of provision. Possibility of relationships. Possibility of more friends. Possibilities. 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 Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. With him in your life, there's always a way. There's always an answer because Jesus is the answer to every real need that we have. Sometimes we try to keep the spiritual spiritual and the natural natural, but Jesus doesn't allow that. God became a man, so now the spiritual is in the natural. All right, so whatever natural needs you have, Jesus is concerned about those. He's not just concerned about saving your soul. huh? He's about providing for you, helping you in this life right now, where you work. Raising your kids, going to school, driving in your car, living in your house. He wants to be involved in all of it. That's why he became flesh. Through Jesus, you have the answer to everything that is a real need. The second thing that these guys missed is something that Jesus tries to teach them through by asking them these questions. Can we look at verse 19 again for a moment? Look at verse 19. You guys are way too quiet. You need to help me here. We do speak in tongues here, right? Okay, so let's, uh, let's get a little loud in here, all right? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, seven. So why did Jesus ask these questions? Because he's trying to show them that when he fed more people, he did it with fewer loaves of bread and had more left over. He only had five and fed 5,000. When he had seven, he fed 4,000. The less that you're able to offer him, this is the truth, the second truth that they missed, the less that you're able to offer him, the more he delights to do with it. It's seen time and time again throughout the Scriptures. God prefers to accomplish big results with little resources. A nine-foot giant needs to be taken out. What does God get to do it? A 10-foot giant? No, he gets a little shepherd boy with a rock. Because God 
does, lacks big results with little resources. Israel is encamped by an army. The scripture says, let's look at Judges chapter 7, verse 12 for a moment. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. That's a lot of people. He didn't know how to number them. He just thought, oh, it looks like a bunch of locusts out there. So just call it locusts. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore and multitude. That's a lot of people is all it's saying. All right. So who does God get to take on these guys? Too bad Mad Dog wasn't around then, or General Patton, or MacArthur, and none of those guys were around. Who does he get? He gets a scared little kid named Gideon. He says, Gideon, you're going to deliver the people, all right, because this army is encamped against you, and they're massive, but I'm going to help you, all right, Gideon? Okay, so what I need you to do is, 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 uh, is vol- have the men volunteer, okay? So he puts out a, um, a Facebook message and, and asked all who would volunteer to, to go to war, and, and he had, he had uh, several uh, maybes, um, he had lots of no's, but 32,000 yeses. And 32,000 guys show up, and so there's Gideon with 32,000 men. He looks out there, and he's looking at that swarm of locusts, of armies out there, and he sees 32,000 men thinking, oh, boy, this is not good. And then God says, you know what, Gideon, do this. Tell, tell, tell these men, whoever is afraid to go out, you can just go home. All right, first of all, what guy amongst 32,000 is going to go, I'm too scared, and leave? 22,000 of them. 22,000 of them leave, right? So now the odds are getting worse. Now he's got 10,000 men versus tens of thousands of men, maybe hundreds of thousands. Still, the odds are overwhelming. And so Gideon's probably thinking, hmm, I should have left too. Those guys are smart. But God says, nah, still too many, Gideon. Still too many. No, 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 no. God, we're going backwards. This is not too many. I don't know how your math works. Well, I like to see big results, accomplish big results with little resources. And then he has them do this test by how they drank water in the creek. 9,700 didn't pass that test. So now it's Gideon and 300 men. And God said, perfect, now we can win. And they did. And they took all the spoils from their enemies, and, it, it, and Israel was highly enriched. He loves to do big things with little resources. So these disciples are missing this very important truth, and Jesus is walking them through these questions to help them understand that truth. Now, they, they, I think that we, when we look at what the disciples are going through here, because of their need and that kind of thing, we tend to look at our own selves and our own abilities and weaknesses. I mean, I think this is pretty good human reasoning on their part, right? I lose you. There's, there's an African proverb that says, a big fish is caught with big bait. That makes sense, doesn't it? Hmm? But God's maths don't work like that. He says, no, nah, big fish is caught with little bait. I like African Proverbs. I was reading up on some of them. Y'all want to go through them? You want me to put you through it today? <laughs> For instance, uh, here's one. Only a fool tests the depth of the water with both feet. 
No one can leap across a chasm in two jumps. In a court of chickens, a cockroach never wins his case. Now, let me ask, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been on the mission field, like in a primitive kind of setting? All right, then you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. He who has dysentery is not afraid of the dark. It's me, the outhouses out there. All right. No darkness going to stop me tonight. <laughs> I experienced that in Papua New Guinea several years ago. I'm glad that's long behind me. Thank you. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Be here for the next 30 minutes. All right. I like this one. Never tell a man... Never tell a man who is carrying you that he stinks. That's good advice. Jesus said, I fed five more people with five loaves than I did with seven loaves. I mean, I fed with five, more people with five loaves than I did with seven. So, all right, I did this in the early service. So I don't know if you can see this or not, but let's imagine there's a graph here, and I've got ten vertical lines. One that represent thousands, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, all the way to 10. And then we have 10 horizontal lines going across here, and they number from 1 to 10, all right? Can you see it? You guys are a good class today, all right? Stay engaged. Just imagine with me, okay? So if we're going to say five loaves, these numbers on the left-hand side that go vertically are going to represent the loaves, and the thousands up here are going to represent the people. Five loaves we got to hit it right there at 5,000, but going to be basically right in the middle of the graph, all right? How many did seven loaves feed? 4,000. So we're going to go back a little bit to four, to four and 7,000. Now, if you draw a straight line, forgive the crudity of this model, by the way. I didn't draw very straight lines, but did my best. Draw a straight line through that, and we're going to just try to do God's math for a moment, if we can put it in terms of math, and you keep going a straight line through those two points, you're going to find that actually one loaf can feed 7,000 and have 22 baskets left over. So the less you give him, the more he can do with that. The less you have to offer him, the more he delights to do with it. That's the third truth. Our second truth, and then nothing, the third thing, lastly, this is the last thing. Nothing much happens, though, until you offer him what you have. On this boat ride, the disciples are hungry, and so that's why they were concerned about bread. But here's what's interesting in the story. They started the trip hungry, and they ended the trip hungry. Though they are in the boat... Having the miracle worker aboard didn't do anything and won't do anything for you unless you offer him what you have. They didn't offer the bread to him with Jesus standing there, knowing what he can do with bread. So no miraculous event occurred that day. The miracle that never happened. The scripture doesn't record that they offered 
Jesus that one loaf that they did have. I mean, remember, we, they did have one loaf, and then a little later on we found out they didn't have any loaf. The only thing that I can figure that happened is, is that when they found the one, however that one was there, maybe they found it in the bottom of the boat. I don't know where they got this loaf of bread from. It obviously wasn't brought for lunch to feed 13 men. Maybe one of them picked it up off the bottom of the boat and <sighs> dirty, maybe a little mold on it, maybe some salt water. <laughs> Thinking one, 13, this is useless. Tossed it over to the side. Now they have nothing to put in his hand. And nobody's brave enough to say, sorry, Jesus, we have a soggy piece of bread. Didn't do anything with that. Didn't do anything. I personally believe that that's why the miracle didn't happen. Maybe you thought this very kind of thought about you and what you have to offer God when it comes to what he can do for you and through you. When you do offer Jesus what you have, you can experience miracles. When you don't, you're just left wanting. The disciples have a need. Jesus is present. And nothing happens. I do not want that said in my life ever. That I have a need and I have Jesus and nothing miraculous happens. Because I didn't give it to him. Now, the Bible says that you, that he knows what you have needed before you ask, but he says if you'll ask, as I open this thing up with, you'll receive. Let's just imagine, let's stand up for a moment, all right? I'm about to dismiss you. Just stand up for a moment. Let's just put in our hands this little loaf of bread, about the size of a little Danish, all right? That was their loaf. We've got this loaf, and this is going to represent your situation, your life, whatever it may be. All right, And you know where it's dirty, and you know where it's missing things, and you know where it's problematic, and you know where it's lacking, and you know where it's ugly, and you, you know all everything about it. And you haven't thought or considered that God could or would do anything with that. But He will. He wants to work on your behalf. He's on your side. He's a very present help in time of need. He likes this moment when you have whatever you might seem insignificant or even pathetic. God says, if you'll give that to me, I'll work miracles with that. That's just my cup of tea. If you'll just, by faith, offer that up to him, say, Lord, I give this to you. You know what that issue is. Maybe it's an area of your heart. Maybe it's a place where you haven't surrendered to God, something that you, maybe a disappointment, whatever it might be, just give it to him. Just offer it up to him and say, okay, I give this to you, Lord. Work a miracle. Do your thing. Supernaturally intervene in my life. Let me see your power demonstrated. I don't want to hold this to myself any longer, and I certainly don't want to offer you nothing. But what I have, as Peter said, what I have, I give you. All right, so just say that with me. What I have, Lord, I give to you. What I have, I give to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you right now, God, that you're a very present help. Thank you, Lord. You know what that is, Lord, and you're meeting needs right now.
I thank you for the peace of God, the grace of God, the healing power of God, the love of God to abound here in this moment, the provision from God. Thank you, Lord. Right now, you are helping your people. You say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can do much with this. Hallelujah. Lord, uh, they may see the end, but you see the beginning. You see the potential. You see the promise. Thank you, Father God, right now for making and making, taking our mess and making a message out of that. Hallelujah. So we just bless you and we surrender to you. You said, cast your cares on me that I care for you. Thank you, Lord, right now. Thank you for the beautiful message of the gospel that has come to us. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Thank you for that. Today, if you don't know God, today, if you, you're not in relationship with him, and if you haven't given your heart to him, you haven't accepted that Jesus died for your sins, You can do that right now by simply believing that he did it for you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to be religious. Please don't do any of that. None of that's going to help you. Not even being a better person. That's not going to help you. It's not going to save you from your sins. Only Jesus can do that. If you'll just trust in him, believe on him today. Just say, Lord, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And 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 by, by me believing that, I become a whole new thing, a new creation. So thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for the free gift of salvation, the total deliverance that we have in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I believe that from this day forward that your people are no longer going to have moments where no miracles happened, but we're going to see your hand at work and miracles abounding in these lives in the name of Jesus. Thank you for it, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.